Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello, Jazz Nation. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, hopefully, I don't sound too weird. Uh, I was a little under the weather today. Spent most of the day in bed, and uh, I was actually kind of worried I wasn't going to be able to do this show because it affected my voice quite a bit. It really is just my voice was dead, or just weird sounding. Uh, but luckily, I've had a whole day to kind of get better, get a little extra sleep, so I don't sound quite as demented, which is, <laughs> I guess, good for you guys. Although... I think we've said this before, this isn't a professional quality podcast, so we're just two guys who really love talking about the jazz. So, but anyway, Trey, uh, what, what were your thoughts on, uh, I didn't get to watch the Detroit Pistons game, unfortunately, uh, what were your thoughts on that game? Uh, well, it was frustrating because the majority of it was just back to, oh, we're just getting beat. I mean, the end of the first quarter was 31-13. So, I mean, that was stressful to see. Um, but they bounced back out of it, which was good. I think that uh, Dante and Tabo were big and instrumental to getting us back in that game. And Corver being on the court encouraged ball movement again, so that helped. But, um it was it was worrying at first, but you can't keep coming back to try and win a game. That's for damn sure. Yeah, that's definitely something that we'll keep an eye on. Because I, I had the same thought because I was kind of following, following the game a little bit. So it was, we were down 31-13, and then I put my phone away. Cause I can't even remember what I was doing. It was yesterday. I was probably watching a football game. Uh so I, I kind of just gave up on the uh, the Jazz for a little bit. And then I realized it was like halftime. They were only down by, I think, five or something like that. And then uh, they ended up pulling it out. They, out, they outscored the Pistons uh, by however many it was. They ended up winning 110, 105. Uh, though a lot of that had to do with, with Donovan Mitchell, who had a really good second half. His first half was not pretty. Uh, I don't even think he took a shot in the second quarter, if I'm looking at the the shot charts, right? He was zero for zero. I don't think he took any free throws either. Um, and then the first quarter, he was like one for four. But then he goes like nine of 17 for 24 points, which is the dawn of Mitchell we were kind of used to seeing last mm-hmm. year. Again, I don't have the, the eye test for those shots, unfortunately. But, you know, he, he was relatively efficient. You know, 17 shots, 24 points. That's it's pretty nice. Five or six, you know, made five out of six free throws, which always you know helps that shot to point ratio. But this is the kind of Donovan Mitchell we've been wanting. We obviously don't want the two point first half Donovan Mitchell, but you know, with Mitchell finishing the game with 26 points, five rebounds, five assists, three steals, a block, and only two turnovers. That's what we're wanting to see. And we haven't seen that in some games. We talked about this a lot in our last podcast, but there's some criticism due to Donovan Mitchell, and it's not, you know, I'm, we don't want to give up on Donovan Mitchell, but we want to see more of what he did against the Pistons. Maybe fewer ill-advised shots, more confidence, you know, aggression in the right places, and he must have done that against the Pistons because he was pretty efficient, at least in the second half, and 
surprise, surprise, when Donovan Mitchell plays well, the Jazz get a win. Yeah, well, and it all, I, this was a culmination in him slowing down and reading defenses better. Um, he's been slowly but surely getting back to being within the offense, which has always been a good sign uh, this week, especially. But um, to see him explode like that, like he had one of those layups, like his signature, like, hand out, arm out as far as he can go, just flick of the wrist in. To see that again, I was like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Um, and I like that, uh, I think it was third quarter, I believe. He started third quarter with like uh, two turnovers, uh, two terrible shots, and Quinn pulled him and had him sit down and told him, look, you got you to gotta watch what's going on right now. And he finally comes back into the game and explodes. Um I don't know if we're going to have this level of consistency from him. He obviously figured something out last night, and that's very encouraging. Yeah, we would definitely like to see more of that again. Like you said, just having the game come to him, and maybe it took getting benched by Quinn Snyder. I remember reading about that where he, he got benched. It was like, all right, let's think about this for a minute. And those are the kind of benchings, those can be useful. You see Greg Popovich do it a lot of times to his starters. Like, all right, you guys are... You guys are sucking it up right now. I'm going to bench you. And that, maybe some of Donovan Mitchell, maybe it'll help him. Maybe this can be kind of a, a small spark that starts a huge fire for Donovan Mitchell. It kind of rekindles what he had last year. And kind of on a similar note, um, in terms of reading and playing within the offense, I think Dante Exum is another player who's taking the steps into playing inside the offense. He still struggles a little bit with that, but I think in the last five or six games, one of the things that's really impressed me has been his assists. And it's not that Dante Exum has suddenly become a John Stockton-esque passer. It's really just that he's looking to take advantage of his opportunities. Because when you look at a lot of the guys who get assists, the James Hardens, the Russell Westbrooks, more so with like Russell Westbrook, these guys who get tons of assists, it's not that they're great passers, it's they take advantage of their offense to break down the defense, and then they figure out what the best option is. Now again, you know, James Harden will get his you know, 40 points, but also get 13 assists because there's 13-ish occasions where he's driving to the hoop and, or, you know, not exactly 13, but, you know, a lot of times he'll be driving to the hoop or breaking down the defense. He sees a guy who's wide open because of what he's done, he kicks it out to them. They make a shot. Same with Russell Westbrook. They break down defenses, and then they take advantage of that in whatever way they can, kind of a, a triple threat. Uh, and Dante Exum is doing that more. It's when he's still not perfect at it, but you see he had five assists in eight minutes against the Pistons. He went out with injury. Um, but, you know, he had a 13-assist game the other night. I think he had seven in another game recently. Now, seven in the game before against Cleveland, you know, 11.7 assists. So he's seeing the floor better now. And again, it's not that he's a superb passer now. It's just that he's he's taking those steps into being a better playmaker and perhaps a better point guard and somebody who can run the offense a little bit. There's still a lot of learning there to do, but I think it's a really good sign. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, to... I see where you're drawing that correlation for sure. And Dante definitely, because of the confidence he's been playing with, he has that gravitational pull now where they know people are starting to realize he's long and he's going to get to the rim. And because he's getting better at that uh, plan B and C mentality, 
um, is very promising for sure. He does still get tend to find himself stuck in the air a lot of the times still, and he still takes those hard falls that I always cringe when I see. But, um, yeah, I mean, it sucks because now he's got the sprained ankle and on on Favors' foot nonetheless. But, yeah, no, it's I, I he's not definitely at that level of gravitational pull. But I think if he keeps up with this, just staying uh, diligent and doing what he's supposed to do, the right thing, I guess is what they call it in the basketball world. <laughs> um, he'll be fine. It's just going to be a matter of getting back to that when he comes back. I don't think that's going to destroy his confidence by any stretch. Yeah, I really hope on it. it is just kind of a, a sprained ankle, which does keep you out for a week or so. Um, at least if you're in the professionals where you got you know, your really great shape and you got really good uh, medical professionals around you. So hopefully he just misses a couple of games. He's out in the next game against, I already forgot who they're playing next, the the Bucks. That's who they're playing. And he'll probably be out against Orlando. And he might come back against uh, the Lakers uh, for that ESPN game. So that's probably a timeline. Uh, and like I said, or like you said, I don't think it'll take him off his recent uh, uptick in play. But it is a little frustrating because that's a guy who's really ridden a lot on his own confidence, really up and down. And he's had a lot of, he's had up and down moments this season where, you know, he'll score you know 20 or so points, you know, get a high point total, and then he'll barely play in the next couple of games. Um, just because some of his own mistakes and some of Quinn Snyder, you know, preferring other players over him or whatever, is really going on. I'm only making observations, but uh, I'm I'm buying back into my Dante Exum fanboyism or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, well, I mean, you should be. I, to, I mean, to be fair, he's gonna he was drafted high for the very reason that we're seeing now that he's finally been able to stay healthy. You know, sprained ankle aside, he's been like. This is still one of the best he's. This is the best he's been since he came into the NBA. Obviously, we've only seen sample sizes up to this point, but he's gotten almost an entire season under his belt, which is awesome for him. Yeah, and I think it is the fact that he's showing the improvement. It's not just that he's playing more and he's scoring more points. It's that he's broadening his. <laughs> There's the sickness coming in. Just went through puberty there. Apparently, voice crack. It happens to everybody. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Uh, oh, what was I saying? It's Don Texan broadening his game. It's what, it's one of the things we praised Donovan Mitchell for last year is it wasn't just the same things over and over. He was pulling new tricks out of his bag. Don Texan has pulled at least one more trick out of his bag, and that's the ability to you know, kick it out to guys on the perimeter when he's driving or, more consistently, lob it to guys like Gobert and Derek Favors. And that's one thing. And the next step, you brought this up before, a, a mid-range jumper... Hopefully he'll improve his three-point shooting moving forward, which has been spotty. So there's all these different things he'll have to improve if he wants to become an, you know, a full-time starter, which I, he's borderline right now, mostly because of his inconsistency. But if, if he can add those things and become more consistent, then he could be the Jazz point guard of the future. We'll mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. So something that's a, a little negative, uh, I guess we can move away from Don Texan so I avoid boring everybody with my fanboy, my fanboy talk. Uh, 
this past week, the Utah Jazz made a move that wasn't terribly popular. And that was raising the the prices of tickets and uh, season tickets. And I don't know all the details. Um, I know what I've what I've read and things I've seen on Twitter. Um, so I can't give a full you know recap of everything. But effectively, oh, you know, pretty much every team will raise their ticket prices and things like that. That's not terribly uncommon, especially when the team becomes more successful. I think the Jazz did this last season. You know, they were selling out their tickets, and I think the tickets got more expensive just because that's what happens. I, th- I think the big thing, and, and Trey can comment on this. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, the big thing was just that they jumped drastically. The prices doubled for a lot of different ticket, uh, you know, different types of tickets. Hmm. Um, so, again, Trey, like, wh- wh- what were your thoughts when you first uh, heard about this? Um. I I mean I honestly had no idea. I've only looked into season tickets once or twice before, but I had no idea the jump that it had. I mean, um, even on the Deseret News article, they were saying it went up from twelve and eighteen per game to thirty for uh, upper bowl tickets uh, a piece, and then another guy five hundred twenty eight per seat to one thousand three hundred twenty, uh, one hundred fifty to two hundred percent for different variations of it. I think I there, someone posted something on Twitter and it showed like the discrepancy in years and it was just like, holy crap. That's a, I mean, it's not necessarily a ripoff. I mean, people that have been buying season tickets. They've been doing it for a reason. I'm sure that they're not the only people buying into these. Um, they're expensive in general, but to see that big of an increase, it kind of doesn't surprise me. I'm I'm surprised it didn't go up astronomically last season because we had the renovation before last season. Um, and then, to I mean, yeah, for sure, they're, they're doing better uh, as a team. That Everybody is more involved with it. I don't really know. I just know that it's going to affect people that buy single-game tickets off of the people who are selling those single-game tickets from their season ticket package because instead of, like, you know, 40, 50 bucks for people that are reselling from the Upper Bowl, that's going to go up to possibly 80, 90 bucks now. Yeah, and I think one of the things I saw is just that it really affects season ticket holders. I know the you know a single game will definitely go up for a lot of people. I think that's a a price that most people can swallow, although eighty bucks still hurts. Um, you know, for season ticket holders, this can amount to thousands of dollars in a change. Like there were some people who were saying their season pri- ticket prices almost tripled from like the little below a thousand to almost 2000. I don't know. I don't know how true that is. Uh, This is just a couple of people on Twitter. This isn't necessarily representative of everybody, but you know, for each person, you know, looking at, looking at some graphs here, just it's hundreds of dollars for some, it's over $500. Like those $18 tickets, it's going from 792 to 1320. So, it's just never. People never like it when you make them pay more money for something. But again, I, I think it's just the drastic jump. And and maybe it was just because they didn't uh, raise it after last season a ton. You know, I, again, I vaguely remember them going up. I think maybe just 
think they were raising the prices for this season's tickets. Again, I, I, I don't remember exactly, but having this big of a jump, uh, it's not popular. It's it's something that's always going to happen because it's it's the NBA. It's it's a money making thing, and when people see an opportunity and there's supply and demand, you raise there's more demand. You know, you raise the price. It's just how it goes. I think that's one of the, the things that the Jazz are trying to point out to everybody is, look, it's you know it's, it's a more successful team, or at least it's been somewhat more successful, so the prices are just going to go up. But again, it's I just think it's one, it's the timing that the Jazz are the Jazz are on the upswing, but they haven't been as good as last year, and there's an enormous price hike. You know. That's never going to be popular. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where the Jazz's ticket sales ranked or what their ticket prices were. I mean, um, in terms of league-wide, but I know that <clears throat> it was probably a lot cheaper to get season tickets to a Jazz game than it would be somewhere else. Um, thankfully, that's because we're in a smaller market. But yeah, the team is getting bigger and better national recognition. We have I we have more national games on this schedule than I think we did the past two years. I want to say, or for a long time, <laughs> but uh, I mean, at some point, yeah, they have to raise prices because they got to pay for the upkeep, they got to pay the staff, they got to pay all these other people. Now, obviously, there's more events that go on at the Vivint Smart Home Arena that people can go to, but I think it also might play into the fact that the team is going to need more money in general because, and this might just be me spitballing here, but it also kind of tells me that they're probably serious about getting some kind of free agent or being able to throw money around the way they want to, to maybe even get people to be more enticed by Cause there's going to be something that's going to happen at some point. We're going to have to throw a ton of money at Donovan Mitchell. Like that's coming up. If we want to keep Ru- uh, Rudy, we have to do that too. I mean, I don't know. It probably plays into it, but at the same time, like, yeah, it's just a part of being a business, unfortunately. You know, I, I definitely um, I, I've heard that uh, theory about, you know, them potentially looking for a free agent and maybe just getting a little more money to kind of help with that. Um, I'd, I'd like to believe that that's true. I definitely would. I don't know how true it is. It's It's what I'm hoping is true because it makes this just seem less like about just trying to wring more money out of fans, which seems to be the it's the most likely uh, explanation, though it doesn't quite fit with how I've seen the Jazz front office and ownership work in the past. They've generally been very fan-oriented and you know, love the fans. I mean, Gail Miller basically ensured this team will never leave, and I think it was Steve Starks, if I'm remembering his name right, uh, he's generally been fan-friendly. And I know he reached out to some people uh, on DMs and things like that, trying to, you know, explain things a little bit, or at least just try and calm people down. And, again, I, I don't know if I can fully explain this, but I'm really hoping that the explanation behind this isn't just the Jazz just trying to ring more money. I do hope it is they're planning on putting that money back into, like like you said, free agents, maybe trading for a guy who costs a lot of money. So 
and maybe they're just also raising the ticket price because a trade would, you know, generate more excitement. You know, if the Jazz brought in like a, you know, name any free agent or trade target, that would generate more buzz and people would buy more tickets and you know, mm-hmm. supply and demand and all that. So yeah, and I just found a ticket news says that the Jazz were the lowest price or the lowest in the market before the change. But the, pro- the timing is is like it doesn't even go up till next season. So I mean, they, I know they open up to season ticket purchasers early. But now with that theory, I don't know if that's really going to play out so well. I, I don't know. But it's just a meat market average, it looks like. I mean, they'll, they'll start generating that money quick enough. Sure. Um, it's just, you know that money's coming, so you know you have it, so you can spend that money out, kind of like a loan or whatever. Sure. I don't know how money works necessarily with <laughs> <Or> the <laughs> NBA. But yeah, I think that they were really low. That's one of the things I'd heard is that the Jazz were one of the lower uh, ticket prices. So raising it, you know, made sense that it was going to happen eventually. It's just, it's not popular because people don't like paying money. You know, people are hurt worst when you hit them in their pocketbook. Oh, sure. The pro- I mean, what sucks for me is I'm never going to be able like, I wasn't able to get season tickets as it is. Now I'll just never be able to get them. I... <laughs> I just don't have the money for that. I'm poor. I've never been a season ticket guy anyway. I feel like the only way season tickets would be worth it is if you live in a city and it's a football team. Because I can't go to 40 games a year. That's just not going to happen. Not unless I'm retired. I, I Sell the ones you don't go to. Student, I, yeah, but then it's like, I'll just buy a few tickets. I mean, I, even as a huge fan, I'd rather watch most of the game on TV and go to like... Maybe five or six games a year, but that would be a lot for me. Mm. Uh, and I don't know. I I haven't paid to go to a sports game. I paid. I went to a Real Salt Lake game, and that's the last time I remember paying for to go to a game in a long time. But part of that's because I work as a sports journalist, so people tend to pay me to go to games. So maybe it's just that entitlement coming out. Privileged. But yeah. <laughs> But one other thing, and I want to say this before we move on, it's not terribly relevant, but one thing I've heard people, this subject has kind of come up, is that people are talking about the lower bowl tickets, how they're not necessarily full of diehard fans, they're full of, like, corporate people. Yeah. You know, corporate people buy tickets and they take, I don't know, clients or whatever to them. Like, my dad, his work, they have lower bowl seats. And they take, you know, whoever, whatever they're doing, trying to schmooze somebody or something. They take them to a jazz game. Although every now and again they give them to their employees because they, you know, for whatever reason. Which is mostly how I've gotten to jazz games all my life. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there's a good mixture. I mean, there's plenty of people from the corporate world that have tickets for the jazz game so that they can treat their clients and their employees or whoever needs it. I've taken advantage of that myself. Actually, I do need to get in touch with him, see if he has any. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've always I've always had that, that uh, train of thought since I started going to jazz games. It's always like... You, all the rowdy guys, all the rowdy fans are up top, while all the guys in the lower bowl are just sitting there in their posh seats. Oh, it's a basketball game. Um, I always just give crap about that because you never see it's like lifeless unless something's really exciting is happening, and then they get into it. And then, I'd always get pissed off too because like they get the like close ball tosses during timeouts. 
they like get all the free crap while all the guys up in the upper bowl just have to fight for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's because it's because none of those like the people who are throwing it's usually like those cheerleaders and whatnot who don't have an arm. Right. <laughs> it's like they'll they'll the lady toss into the third row. It's like okay, let's get out that cannon. Yeah, those are always nice when they bring those out. For sure. That's why it's like. That's why it's nice to have the male cheerleaders to the football games because those guys can actually throw. <laughs> anyway, random, uh, random subject over, I guess. Uh, one other thing that uh, Trey, you brought this up, so I'll let you uh, bring it up. Jay Crowder, uh, you, you wanted to bring him up. Uh, what have your, what have your thoughts been about him? Well, I really wanted to just talk about it because he had his career high in points against Toronto. We lost, but we also played against a just ridiculous Kawhi Leonard. My God, he's good. Um, I, I just thought, you know, he's. we felt like he was going to have a resurgent season before this season started, and he definitely has. Um, uh, it, it, he didn't have the best game against Detroit, but he did all the other things. But that's besides the point. He's getting back to I. I knew we were. I called it too. I was like, we're gonna get Boston Jay Crowder, and we have so far this season. We have. He has. He's not taken as many shots as he did in Boston his last two years in Boston, but his shooting percentage is not as good. But he's also on his two point shots. He's uh, five point uh, five two eight. On his effective field goal percentage, he was five point five two seven two. Sorry, I'm just uh, dyslexic with numbers apparently. Um, on his effective field goal, his second or his last year in Boston, so he's getting back up to that point. And I really just like what he's been doing in general. He's taking better shots. He has feel he looks more comfortable out there on the court than I ever saw him in uh, Cleveland um, at all ever. But He's back to that. He's playing great defense. And kind of the team's rallying around his energy, which is really nice to see, too. Um, but I, I want to see where he's at by kind of the end of this season and see if he is surpassed or has come at least matched that last year he had in Boston. Because that statistically is his best uh, season of his career. But I think he's getting back there here uh, this season, too. Yeah, if he plays the way he has the past oh, eight or so games, then you know he will, I think, be worth keeping around. And you know, I love Jay Crowder. Um, you know, and I agree. I love. I think we both agreed we were hoping and expecting to get that Boston Jay Crowder this year because he was, didn't quite get a chance to really acclimate himself to Utah and their system. And yeah, this year he is shooting a his best effective field goal percentage since that last year in Boston or that last full season, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, or that was the last full season. Um, but I mean, uh, before, so the, the last eight games, he's shooting 41% from three. And I didn't look at all the field goal percentages, but I think he's shooting like he's shooting 41%, almost 42% from three. And I think he's shooting a little better overall. He, he takes most of his shots are three pointers. Mm-hmm. So those shooting percentages are generally around each other. But before that, so this was before December 18th, so like basically the last half of December and the first couple uh, games of January. Um, so before then he was shooting 32.8%. So mediocre, slightly below average. 
They're actually well below. I just think the league average is around 35%. So before he was shooting below average. Right now, or at least you know the last two to four weeks-ish, he's shooting a lot better. And I think that definitely has correlated with some of Utah's success. I mean, back around December 18th-ish, we had our podcast bemoaning the uh, four out of five losses the Jazz had just gone. You know, that was the loss to San Antonio, Oklahoma City, Orlando, and Houston. But since then, the Jazz, I think, are six and three, uh, if I'm counting right. In that stretch where Jay Crowder has shot uh, about 41% from three. And that's wins over Golden State, Portland, just a barely one-point loss to Oklahoma City and blowout of Portland, a close loss to Toronto, and then wins over Cleveland and Detroit. Uh, He didn't play in the uh, blowout over the Knicks. But, you know, I I think his his, uh, recent good shooting is... It, it's it's awesome for the Jazz because we mentioned all the other things he does, defense, you know, ability to switch on the guys, energy, which is a huge one. I think not enough people talk about. That I'm glad you brought up. Uh, just, just all these things when complemented by him shooting well, you know, that's why he was so valuable to Boston and why people were whining about them losing Jay Crowder. And you know, it's what Jazz fans were hoping to get. It's why we kept hoping, let's get that Boston Jay Crowder, because we knew he'd be so absolutely valuable to this Jazz team as a stretch four and just as, you know, an awesome player. Oh, for sure. And you Maybe think, not a star, but like... You, know. you think about all the guys that are, like, the fan favorites throughout the years that just... They're not the best, but they just give you nothing but energy. doesn't matter what part of the game it is, whatever. Like, if we're down exuberant amounts of points it doesn't matter those energy guys are always popular in utah because we as jazz fans love those energy guys um booker i mean he was amazing he wasn't the best but the dude just hustled every single moment of every game earl watson come on earl watson the bulldog i loved having earl watson on our team um it's yeah it's just nice to see i knew that we were gonna get something in jay crowder i loved that acquisition from the very beginning and i love that not only does he feel more comfortable here but i think coach snyder feels more comfortable with him too not that he never did but he just kind of knows how to utilize him better and now that he is you know kind of on the same wavelength as quinn i mean he's benefiting greatly yeah and i think really the it is nice that he's kind of acclimating more and being more on the same page. Because really, my biggest complaints with Jay in the past have been he jacks up, you know, he shoots like he's Steph Curry. Sure. Or he takes as many shots thinking he's Steph Curry. And, you know, when he goes two for ten, that's not a good thing. Sure. Um, you know, when he goes two of eight, that's okay. You know, one of three, five of seven, okay, you're getting a little, you know, you're getting a little better. You know, the last two games, he's, or the last few games, he shot five of seven, three and seven, and then. You know, he's 0 for 4. But overall, you know, when he has those games where he shoots well, he's an absolute uh, necessity. Or just, he's one of the biggest reasons the Jazz can pull off a win is if he's shooting well. When you look at that win against the Warriors, he was 5 of 9 from 3, 6 of 11 overall. And he also had a double-double in that game. So, yeah, uh, I think Jay Crowder is a fan favorite. And, uh, you know, he's not a star. You know, just like Trevor Booker was, and I know Damari Carroll was also a fan favorite. You know, they're not stars, but they're, you know, 
A-level role players, which is, I don't even know. Happy to have one of those. Sure, yeah, for sure. I don't even know if I can consider him a role player, man. I think he's our sixth man. I I mean, we've got a pretty deep bench. I don't really know who we classify as our sixth man, but I think that Jay is the sixth man Um, because he still is. He's about what twenty-seven minutes a game. Um, That's that's pretty big. Not many role players get to see twenty-seven minutes. Um, But yeah, he's doing all the other things when he's having bad nights. Um, unfortunately, that means most everybody else is having a bad night too. <laughs> so it just happens more often than it it shouldn't be this season. But it is what it is. But the fact that he's always going to give us energy, and the fact that I think people are picking up on that too. And how will I? I like that he's kind of getting more minutes with the Exum injury. It's going to be interesting to see how X or uh, excuse me, how uh, Neto responds to that because. He hasn't really played all that much since Exum started showing up to play again. But Howell's another energy guy. He's going to give us so much energy every single t- uh, time out on the court. So I'd love to see how he gels too when Exum comes back. Yeah, well, I think he's just going to be a, a placeholder because I think ultimately he's kind of Neto's mostly reached his potential as like a third string. Well, his potential is to be like a backup, but I, as long as he can kind of hold that spot for uh, Dante Exum. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully give it back up because I want to see Dante Exum more than uh, Neto. Nothing against Neto. I've always <laughs> yeah. had a soft spot for him. But you know, I, I like Dante Exum more. I think he's got more potential to help this Jazz team be successful and not just in the regular season. Uh, sure. So. Sure, sure. All right. So we're going to keep this a little shorter than normal, mostly because, like I said, I've been a little sick. Uh, so we're going to cut this just a little short of 35 minutes. I think our last few episodes have been close to an hour. Uh, but to be fair, there also isn't a ton of jazz news. Just a lot of the same. They're on the upswing. They've won three out of their last four, six out of their last nine. So there's not nearly as much to complain about. And a lot of their losses have been close losses to good teams. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they're back. I'm, they're back I'm to being a good, good team. Yeah, I know. I, I saw a couple articles on ESPN there, you know, kind of clickbaity articles. It was like, oh, the five most, the five NBA teams that'll improve the most in 2019. They're referring to the calendar year, and then I think there's a similar one for the players. And I know Utah Jazz were number one on their, on the guys' list of teams that'll improve. And I didn't actually click on the one with players, but the. Uh, picture has Don, uh, Donovan Mitchell on it, so I'm guessing he's on that list somewhere as well. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but I mean, that's... I'm guessing. That's a testament to how much people are paying attention to the Jazz right now. They've got the national attention. They were, you know, they were picked extremely high. We bought into that, obviously. But, I mean, they're seeing that their the fruits of their labors are paying off, and they've turned that corner, because this last couple weeks have just been really good for the Jazz. Yes, we've lost some of those games, but we're beating the teams we're supposed to beat. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest differences. We're beating those teams. We're not getting blown out. Yep. And, and we look good in those games, even though we're losing, and we obviously look good in the games we're winning by 15 or so points. So that's the important thing, because that was the biggest thing we talked about early on was that it wasn't just that the Jazz were losing because they still had a near-ish 500 record. We're always hovering below it, but it was the way the Jazz were losing. It was how the Jazz were losing, how they looked, all those different things. They were just bad. Now, sure, they're losing some of these games, 
but they look good, or at least better, and they're winning the games we should, like you said. Yep. So, uh, any last thoughts, Trey, before we close it up for the week? Um, no. Well, no. <laughs> Wait, we're number nine in the West right now. How about that? Oh, that's true. I'm staring right at the standings. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> so, actually, that, that Lakers game could end up uh, putting us in the playoffs maybe before or after. We have, like, two games until then. but Sure. Well, and LeBron's out. That's true. And, yeah, I think he's going to be out for that Jazz game, too. So Yep. No, oh, that's, that's what I was saying. saying up, but... They're going to reevaluate okay. him in a week or something from uh, from yesterday. So Okay. And we're, we play them Friday, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully we'll come back next week. We'll have three more wins under the Jazz belt and hopefully win over the Lakers to boot, and that's always nice. So, Anyway, thank you so much for listening, putting up with my weird-sounding voice. Uh, again, I'm Jason Walker, Trey Sanders as always. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next week. <laughs>